This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas, powered by U-Mobile. Good morning, I'm Keith Calm and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. Now, you may be familiar with famous Amos cookies and the smells that permeate many a shopping mall in Malaysia. And what about the buttercup brand of butter? Now, for nearly a century, DKSH Holdings Malaysia Berhad, which started in 1923 as Ditom & Co. in Penang, has been bringing these and other brands in. Today, DKSH is listed on Bursa Malaysia. Its parent company is itself listed in Switzerland. This morning, we are talking to Stephen John Farabee, DKSH Holdings Malaysia. Chairman Stephen DKSH, you guys bill yourself as a market expansion services to consumer goods, performance materials, healthcare, and technology industries. What does that mean? Well, uh, market expansion services is is an improvement on the old distribution model, if you like. So when people think of distributors, they tend to think of people moving boxes around. Really, with market expansion services, what we're doing on is we're focusing much more on the value-added part of the supply chain. So we're really looking to drive sales, drive growth for our clients. We'll get involved in sourcing. We will, of course, do the logistics, the distribution. But we're really looking to uh, to build brands. So this is a huge jump from the trading company persona that you guys have always had. Uh, yeah, look, it's a long-standing evolution. Yes, so if you go back to the roots of DKSH, that was very much as a trading company. But each decade, if you like, it, it evolves and it evolves further. And certainly in the in the two thousands, really, probably since the early two thousands, we've been on this this market expansion journey. Let's uh, zoom in on consumer goods first. That's a segment which is obviously dependent on consumer spending. And we spent the past two plus years in some kind of lockdown or another. What was the impact like for you guys? Um, Look, it was very varied. Obviously, a large part of our business is food service channel. And those channels were shut under the MCOs. So that business dropped. But conversely, a lot of home consumption increased, obviously, um, particularly cooking at home. So net-net, as you can see in our numbers uh, and our results, actually our sort of portfolio balanced itself out. So whilst the MCO provided a lot of operational challenges in terms of overall top-line demand in the consumer sector, it really didn't impact us negatively. You guys were considered an essential industry in any case, but you had sort of a business continuity plan during the lockdown. What was that like? Yeah, look, we, uh, as you say, we, we had a continuity plan, but the reality is any continuity plan you do before an event changes immediately when the event happens. And certainly in the early weeks, it was very challenging. I think everybody in the whole country was trying to navigate what does the MCO mean? There were lots of bits of paper that had to be gathered together to prove you're an essential service and to move through roadblocks and, and all that uh, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I remember that. And I have to say, our team did a fantastic job. I mean, uh, full respect to our frontline uh, workers and staff who uh, were out there at a the time. And, and we all sort of seem to forget it two years on how scary it was when COVID first started. And all our truck drivers, you know, our salespeople had to go out every day into this environment to keep the goods flowing. So uh, we're immensely proud of what our team achieved in that environment. Were you able to keep everyone on board or was there some form of staff attrition? Uh, no, we uh, we had probably had higher retention rates than in a normal time. Obviously, I think people in times of crisis tend to stay put. You know, they want to be with the 
organization they know. We worked hard to keep our staff informed and to keep morale up as well. So yes, we were able to hang on to most of our people. And many of your customers are retailers as well, and they were certainly impacted by all the lockdowns and some weren't able to operate. What were the issues like with collection? Uh, We had no issues with collection, which was very pleasing. That was obviously one of our concerns going in. It's very unpredictable. How is it going to impact people's cash flow? And we were quite cautious in our own cash. For example, we did suspend our dividend in 2020 precisely for that reason, because we were uncertain as to how it would play out. But overall, we've had no major collection problems on, on the back of COVID. So dividends are back on the cards again? Yes. Yeah, so we uh, we reinstated our dividend earlier this year, and we actually significantly increased it to thank the shareholders for their sort of patience through COVID. We raised it 10% this year. So. Now, the pandemic has also seen many in this segment switch to e-commerce. What was DKSH's strategy moving towards a more omni-channel approach? We've been pursuing the omni-channel for a number of years already. So we actually provide a full service to our brands so we can manage their online presence as well. Frankly, in the consumer sectors that we operate in, B2C is a relatively small part of a brand's presence, maybe 5-6% typically internationally, because simply it's not uh, sort of cost-effective to send lowish-value products direct to people's home on an individual basis. Obviously, you know, a lot of the retailers, the supermarkets, they have their own online offering and we're in effect feeding that by feeding them. But we've spent a lot of time building brands' presence online and making sure that we can compete in that space and and can offer an effective service. So I would gather that retail chains like 99 Speed Mart and KK Mart, they would be amongst your bigger clients. I was wondering, you know, how do you come up with a strategy with them? Yeah, no, look, certainly uh, 99 Speedmart remains our biggest client. You know, the convenience store chains uh, and all the hypermarkets, as well as the major pharmacy chains, form our biggest customers. You know, we try to work quite closely with them in terms of where they want to take categories, where they want to take ranges. Uh, and obviously, they're keen to see promotional plans and promotional support for key brands. So we have team members that sort of work with each of those on an individual brand basis, really, to build a strategy. And, you know, now that we are in 2022, we are facing new challenges and a lot of the goods and products that you distribute are from abroad. So we've got the strong dollar, the weak ringgit. I'm sure that would be an impact to you guys. How do you mitigate this? Look, I think um, when it comes to third-party brands, so brands that we don't own, the way we structure our contracts, we typically don't take on exchange risk. Our margins are narrow enough to begin with. We can't really can't afford to take on exchange risk. So we have mechanisms to handle that within our contracts. Obviously, it ultimately drives up the price of brands in the supermarkets, which frankly is not just happening in Malaysia now. It's happening globally around the world. And clearly, that's a concern and it puts pressures on consumers. Uh, but as a direct impact, the sort of a weakening ringgits or rising costs don't impact us directly. But repricing your goods every now and then, I'm sure must get some pushback from, uh, you know, 99 Speedmart, your biggest client. Oh, yeah, look, I think it's part of the jobs of the supermarkets to keep prices down for consumers, yeah. But I think there's a recognition across the supply chain at the moment, both from sort of producers, ourselves in the middle, the, the retailers at the front end, that these are quite extraordinary times. So the tradition of, yes, you can have an increase in six or 12 months, that's frankly gone out the window because manufacturers can't afford to keep supplying the goods in at a loss. So I think I think the retailers have been realistic. 
Um, we've all tried to work together to minimise the price increases, but we have been able to get them in. And, and certainly even on our own brands like Buttercup and SCS, where frankly, we don't like increasing the prices, but we've had to just to uh, respond to what's going on in the, the commodity markets that provide the ingredients. How often do these price increases occur? Typically, I mean, if you look back before 2022, you know, the price increases maybe every couple of years or, you know, once a year maximum. Uh, I think in 2022, we've seen brands take increases, you know, more than once. It is quite an extraordinary environment for inflation. And certainly the switch, I think, in the mindset from so many years of low inflation to suddenly having to cope with this spike has certainly tested everybody's agility. You mentioned supply chain disruptions earlier. What's the situation like for you guys? It's, uh, look, it's improved considerably. So I think the worst time was end of 2021, early 2022, particularly for anything coming out of the US. So I think for our consumer goods business, we had some disruptions late 21, but we manage those pretty effectively. We generally keep enough inventory in market to allow uh, allow for those disruptions. So we had inventory running down heavily in 21. It started to build back up again in 22, which is a definite sign of improvement. Uh, our biggest challenge has remained Famous Amos. If you enjoy their cookies, you might have noticed that the uh, cookie bins have been rather empty of recent. That's because a lot of our ingredients come out of the US and exports from the US have been some of the worst hits. That's now improving. We've had significant imports in the last couple of weeks, so we should see those bins start to fill up again. Let's talk about your healthcare business. DKSH is one of Asia's largest vaccine distributors and COVID vaccines were the hottest item the past couple of years for obvious reasons. How do you manage the margins, which I'm sure would have been even more razor thin than what you guys are, are used to? Yeah, look, when it came to COVID uh, vaccine distribution, our view was, look, we had a civic role to play. We had a civic duty. So our responsibility was to work with the governments to get vaccines into the, the right places at the right time. And frankly, we weren't too concerned about the margins in that respect. It's a short-term event and we just needed to do the right thing. What sort of arrangement do you have with Malaysia's health ministry? So we distribute vaccines on a basically on a third-party logistics basis. So we provide the warehousing, the cold chain for safe and effective distribution. Uh, we're not selling the vaccines as such. We're providing a logistics service. Has that slowed down uh, of late? Uh, yes, I mean I think because the whole world has been through <laughs> has been through the vaccines, then the volumes have reduced, and obviously that's a good thing. This was never a piece of business that we looked at as a long-term activity. So will you be pivoting to say therapeutics going? forward? No, I think we, um, in terms of our uh, healthcare business, we're trying to move to much more value-added services. So um, medical devices, for example, um, recently we purchased a small business called Acutest, which is very active in um, providing quality assurance for laboratories and providing point-of-care testing and diagnostics. So we want to move into those areas. We're doing much more in terms of running sales teams for healthcare companies. Generally, that continuation of that market expansion value chain. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is Stephen Faraby, chairman of the Bursa-listed DKSH Holdings Malaysia. On the other side of the break, we'll find out about how DKSH is looking to improve its margins going forward. BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile. BFM 89.9, welcome back on The Breakfast Grill this morning. Is Bursa-listed DKSH Holdings Malaysia's chairman, Stephen Farabee. 
Now, Stephen, back in 2018, DKSH acquired your rival, Auric Pacific Malaysia, for 480 million ringgit. Auric Pacific is involved in the distribution of chilled and frozen products like Buttercup Spread and SES Butter, and it has accounted for a third of your profitability so far. So just looking at your profit margins, and you did allude to it earlier, it's in the single digits. I think the latest is at around 1.9%. That's up from 1.4% in the second quarter of 2021. In any case, it, if I go back several years, it's still you know one point something percent. Are there plans to improve this? Look, I think we've had a very steady improvement in our margin. The numbers sound very small, but if you looked at our EBIT margins in 2018, they were about 1.1%. In our latest half-year numbers, they're up at 2.6%. Uh, and that reflects, I think, both the acquisition of Oric, which brought some higher margin own brands as well as presence in the food services, but also quite a dedicated focus on our part to improving both our gross margin and our operating efficiency. You know, we sort of doubled our EBIT and doubled our PAT or more than doubled both of those in since 2018. But our top line's only gone up by 12%. And that's really all about our focus on the right revenue, the right service. And we've moved our gross margins up from nine, just over 9% to a little over 11% in that period as well. And also driven a lot more operating cost efficiency. You know, this business is never going to be a double-digit margin business. It's a high-volume, low-margin business, which can produce a very nice level of absolute profit. Uh, but it's always going to be thin. And, you know, if we start recording margins of 4 5 6%, you know, we're going to have some uh, challenges from some of our clients to say, hey, you know, why are you making so much in this, uh, in this chain? The increase in your margins recently was actually due to lower expenses. I mean, how much more expenses can you lower if you're not reducing your staff? Uh, is automation the way to go and how will that look? Yeah, we're doing a lot of process improvement, a lot of digitization, you know, thinking about different ways to operate. I mean, we, we run a large number of warehouses. We subcontract a large amount of, of trucking spend and there are always efficiencies. There are always operational improvements you can make. I mean, we have 170 clients that we work for and, you know, we're distributing to tens of thousands of end users. And so there's complexity in that and it's constantly moving and constantly changing. So that always provides an opportunity to improve. And, you know, when you're talking about 7 billion ringgit of revenue and, you know, a 6 billion ringgit cost base, movements of 1% or 2% in your operating efficiency have a very significant impact on your bottom line. Uh, and frankly, that's our key challenge in the current environment. As we, we deal with rising fuel costs, we deal with rising labour costs and rising supply chain costs generally, then we just have to find ways to be more efficient. And, you know, every year our supply chain team will sit down and they will set themselves a cost-saving target that they need to deliver as part of us continuing to progress. You said you had 170 clients. Um, I, I do remember it, was, it used to be 180 or, or so. Has there been people who dropped off? Uh, no, there's, there's always a little bit of change at the margins, Never, not usually significant. But as I say, we've also been very much concentrating on the quality of our revenue. So, you know, if we have a client that is negative for us, because we can end up with clients that aren't performing as, as we want, then we'll try to get them into a positive position. And if that ultimately doesn't work, then, you know, sometimes we initiate the departure and that's a good thing. 
Yeah. Auric Pacific gave you an improvement in your in your margins. I was just wondering, will future acquisitions be the way to go? What would you know M and A opportunities look like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, the the listed entity now is purely focused on consumer and and healthcare. We divested of our performance materials business at the end of 2021, and we're really focused on those two sectors. So those are the only sectors that we will look to acquire in. But when one of the criteria when we're acquiring is that it is uh, margin enhancing. So we're looking for opportunities that are in the same sector, but really represent more value add. I mean, we have a very strong infrastructure, sort of second to none. You know, maybe there's a little bit more we could do in East Malaysia. That would be an interesting area to do some more deals in. But other than that, it's really more about value added particularly in medical devices for healthcare. If I'm not wrong as well, your marketing and logistics contribute about 60% of your revenue. Would that be um, a strategy you might be exploring as well? Yeah, so I think the sort of marketing and distribution segment, which is the FMCG, the fast-moving consumer goods, I mean, it's roughly high 50s, you know, maybe as high as 60%, depending on the on the season. The logistics segment, which covers healthcare, I mean, again, depends on government tenders that can drive quite high volumes. So they're getting to a similar size. I think probably, as you say, consumer FMCG is a little bigger. But I think we're, you know, they're equal children. We'll invest in both of them. They're they're both very durable sectors. They do well in good economies and in bad economies. So we'll continue to focus on both of them. Looking ahead to 2023, now there is anticipation that a recession is imminent and many of your FMCG and luxury items, because I think DKSH, you guys distribute Montblanc and Rolex amongst other luxury marks. I'm pretty sure those will be impacted. What are your thoughts about what your demand might be like next year? Yes, well, look, in the Malaysian business, we don't have a presence in luxury. So Rolex and Montblanc are done in other parts of the DKSH group. Uh, I think we'd love to do Rolex in Malaysia. That seems to be recession-proof around the world. Um but um, no, look, all seriousness, I think, as I say, that healthcare really is agnostic according to the economy. Yeah? If people are sick, they need treatment. It doesn't matter what the economy is like. It's not really a discretionary spend. We, we saw a depression in the spend during COVID simply because people couldn't access hospitals or doctors. But that has returned to normal. And FMCG, we tend to see just demand patterns shift and we represent so many different categories and so many different channels. You know, people may eat out less to save money, but they may treat themselves a little bit more at home. So our experience is that, you know, through recessions, the business is very, very durable. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we really double down on both those segments. So basically, you're still maintaining a positive, to a medium and long-term outlook. I was just wondering if you have, at this moment, seen any catalysts that make you hold on to this view that 2023 will be better or the same for you guys? Yeah, I think our favourite expression is cautiously optimistic. I think in, it's an industry that we... Um, it's all overused. Uh, it, it is overused. It is overused, but it's sort of true. I mean, we work very hard every day, given the margins we operate on to deliver. And and that doesn't really change in a boom time or a recession. It's just a different set of factors that you that you have to manage. So yes, we believe that we can keep progressing through 23. Uh, personally, I think it's going to be quite a tough time for consumers around the world is 23. There's no doubt about it with the different uh, living cost pressures going on. But we think we're in the right sectors. So we will be far less impacted by those environments than other companies in other industries might be. 
this might actually provide DKSH with opportunities to win some new businesses. I was wondering if this is something that you guys might be exploring. Oh, absolutely. Look, we have an active business development team. They're always engaging, looking for new opportunities. But yes, every downturn does produce more opportunity. It also produces better buying opportunities for acquisitions. I mean, the last two or three years, prices of a lot of companies became very elevated. It was a very uh, supercharged M&A market. That's now calming down a lot more. Multiples are coming down. So we expect to see some buying opportunities as well in the next year or two because I, we're quite disciplined in what we will pay. Can I ask what sort of CAPEX are you setting aside for your Malaysian business next year? CAPEX isn't really a major factor for us. We, you know, the warehousing is all outsourced. Transport is, is outsourced. So most of what we spend is on IT, it's on laptops and that sort of thing. So it's not really a significant number for us in any particular year. So to finance it, there will be no plan to access debt or equity avenues? No, we've reduced our debt as it sort of peaked when we bought Oric. We've managed to halve that debt over the last couple of years. I think the board's been quite prudent in, in terms to look to bring down borrowings to make sure we're well positioned in the event of interest rates rising. So we'll continue to sort of focus on our daily cash flows. But, you know, if we go out and buy a large competitor, then obviously we'll need to borrow. But otherwise, there's no plans to access debt or equity markets in the near or even midterm. Finally, what does expansion look like for DKSH in Malaysia? You mentioned getting more involved in Sabah and Sarawak. Yeah, we have a strong presence in Sabah and Sarawak, but we feel we could do we could do more there. We've got uh, I'll get the exact number wrong, but we've got we've got around 15, 16 branches in uh, in those areas right now. So I think we have a very strong base coverage. So as I say, for us, it's really about looking at maybe categories that we're not present in or healthcare, as I say, in particular, we see a real opportunity in medical devices, which is quite fragmented. But, you know, the nature of acquisitions is you can never predict what comes up. So we have to sort of be alert to opportunities and we have to respond when they're there. Stephen Ferraby, thank you very much for the chat. Thank you. I have been speaking with Stephen John Ferraby, chairman of the Bursa-listed DKSH Holdings Malaysia. This has been The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile, where unlimited potential begins. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.